Again, it's good to see you all out, and um, let's uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Um, Andy, could you open us up in a word of prayer? Father, I just thank you for bringing us to your house tonight, and I just thank you for the day we've had so far. Josh, you be with us in our lesson tonight. Be with John as he leads us, and uh, just show us the things from your word that you want us to learn and to change tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Excuse me. So lesson nine was about the tabernacle. So lesson ten um, is about. I kind of gave a little hint last week. It had something to do with maybe we get some do some dancing tonight, but um, we actually won't. So we're going to learn about Moses and the golden calf and kind of tying that into uh, about confession and repentance and how uh, Moses kind of went through that process. So we'll jump right into the lesson. And uh, yeah, like I told Dad, Andy notes, like there's no hints on the handouts. And I like your wife's idea about the crossword puzzle. So I was like, I'm going to try that, you know. And uh, I didn't get time to do it, so. <laughs> so there's no hints. So I'll give you verbal hints. Actually, I did sneak a hint, not into the paper, but onto the board. So, hey, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that is the hint. The, the, the main points begin with I. So some people have catching on to this. Little pattern this guy likes to do, so and it's good. It helps us remember. So introduction here. God had abundantly blessed His people. He brought them out of Egypt, sustained them in the wilderness, uh, communed with them, abode with them. Uh, but with Moses absent on the mountain, the people very quickly forgot God's goodness and instructions. Not only did they forget God, but they also deserted Him for a false god of their own making. Shamefully, they ignored God's first and second commandments and openly scorned them. Which is really interesting, kind of what Brother Reader was talking about this morning. There's like uh, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's like how could they so quickly forget God and decide to make a cow of all things out of gold and say, oh, this is what brought us out of Egypt. I don't know, that one still confuses me. But anyway, that's what happened. So point number one, the what of the people. Iniquity. Oh, wow. This file needs some N-I-Q-U. All right. Iniquity, the iniquity of the people. So as we saw in lesson eight, the people had pledged to Moses, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient in Exodus chapter 24, verse seven. Soon after, God called Moses up to the mountain to give him the commandments and the law. Uh, written on the <clears throat> tables of stone so that he might teach the people when he returned. 
God also gave Moses the pattern and the instructions for the tabernacle, as we saw in Lesson 9. And on the mountain, Moses was alone with God 40 days and 40 nights, leaving Aaron and Hur in charge of the people. He was gone longer than the people anticipated. Consequently, they gave up on both God and their leader. They began to speak of Moses contemptuously, almost as a stranger. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what become of him. After such a short time, they lost faith in Moses and were no longer willing to wait upon God who had always shown himself faithful. Patience is certainly a difficult virtue to cultivate in our own lives. Are we patient with God? Are we willing to let him have his way when he chooses not to work according to our schedule? The psalmist David shares both encouragement and wisdom on this subject. Psalms 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's see what we're going to do. Um, we've got a decent start. So if, uh, if I could have a couple of the people, <coughs> some readers, but not by last name, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 32, and there's 14 verses there. We'll go ahead and read through all of those. Um, so if anybody wants to take a couple verses, we'll, okay, we can rotate through. All right, so if you are there, are you there? All right, therapist reader, all right. So we've got two readers there, and Dad will be there. So we'll go, I'll read one, and we'll keep reading back, and we'll circle through until we get through. Uh, Exodus 32, 1 through 14. All right, verse 1 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Okay, thanks. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. Now the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built up an altar before it, and Aaron made and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morning, on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath whacked hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. 
Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. All right, so we see that is the passage we're taking this lesson out of. Um, so we will move on to subpoint A. So first of all, kind of seeing that first verse, or um, yeah, in that first verse, they talk about uh, something here. So subpoint A, they rebelled against Moses. Moses. They rebelled against Moses. Presumably, the people of Israel knew where Moses was and why. If they did not know, Aaron and Hur certainly could have told them. But after a few weeks, they lost sight of the importance of what Moses was doing, and they acted as if they did not know what had become of him. In fact, they decided they wanted another leader. They had not picked Moses, therefore this time they were determined to make their own choice. It is always a problem when people elevate their wisdom over God's wisdom and believe they know better than God knows and choose their, way, their own way over God's way. Uh, sounds like a lot of uh, churches in today's age. Here it should have been quite clear to the people that God had chosen Moses to be their leader. They saw God part the Red Sea under his rod. They, heard, they have heard the very voice of God endorsing Moses. That they, they had even begged Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. But now all of that was forgotten. Going beyond forgetting Moses, the people now thoroughly dishonored him by doing something that they knew he would never had agreed with. They gathered together gold for the purpose of building their own God. This graven image was a blatant violation of the second commandment. Since they had chosen to follow the wrong leader, their actions were about to follow a wrong path. Unfortunately, Aaron would not stand up for his brother, or for his God. Instead, he allowed the people to do what they wanted to do. He even cooperated with them. He made the golden calf and proclaimed that this vile, man-made God was the power that had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. This was the man that Moses had trusted to watch over the people in his absence. Yeah, so can't quite wrap my mind around that. Um, Many believers have been spiritually hindered by those who resist godly leadership. If your spiritual leaders are spending time with God and humbly leading according to His Word, support that leadership. Be patient when the leader is waiting on the Lord, and commit to serving in any way you can in the meantime. All right, subpoint B. This one should be easy. They rebelled against.
Ironic, is it not, that Aaron and the people did these awful deeds while proclaiming their loyalty to God? Does that not, again, sound like some churches of today's age? They do things the world's way, uh, in their power, to do things unto God. It's quite interesting. It's kind of the same thing here. It's really interesting. Uh, it says, listen to Aaron as he announces, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And it is capital L-O-R-D. Did you really think God was pleased that the people had demonstrated such contempt for Moses that they had demanded Aaron uh, manufacture gods for them? Do you think God appreciated the altar and built... Did he think that God appreciated the altar he built and the offerings the people brought? Do you really think religion was a good substitute for righteousness? Often the first step toward rebellion against God is rationalization. Even today, people believe God can be bought off or essentially bribed to overlook their sin and self-will. If my good outweighs my bad, they reason I will be okay with God. And uh, it's not just like the first thing that comes into your mind is some religions that are work-based, but it's uh, it has it creeps into to even like-minded believers. Um, so we, we gotta be awake for that. Illustration: People don't often recognize the small acts of rebellion in their own lives, but what starts as a small rationalization can be the beginning of a downward slide toward a hardened and rebellious heart. Think about this, a plane trip from Los Angeles to New York City is about uh, 2,445 miles. If you traveled at the same 2,445 miles at an angle of only one degree off, you'd be 43 miles from where you intended to be. A tiny error in direction while leaving Los Angeles could cause you to miss New York City by miles. Yeah, so it's, it doesn't take much. And uh, let's think about that too. Like it's, they're talking about you know, doing some simple triangulation. But really, in real life, it doesn't look like that. Really, in real life, you go here, and you start to make some wrong directions, and it's like this, and it's like this, and then you, you end up like this. Because each little degree of turn you make, you tend to rationalize something else that's a little, a little more off, and a little more off, and a little more off, until you find yourself way off here. But even if you could, just make one little decision, over time, it will become quite a bit off. Guard your heart from the sometimes hidden sin of rebellion and the rationalization that often leads to it. Be sure that you are fostering a genuine walk with God rather than simply adhering to the outward rules of religion. Total surrender to God and His, uh, and his ways and trust His plan even when there is silence for a time. All right. And uh, I kind of shared with some of the guys at the Airsoft War, too, of um, one way you can kind of figure out that maybe you have a, if you have to tell somebody, uh, 
that you hit them or that they're cheating, ask yourself, why did you do that? Uh, a lot of times you'll find if you really ask yourself and you want to know why you said that, it generally points towards something in your heart that isn't, you're not really trying to help them out or help the group out. It's because you think um, you deserved something and you don't want to admit that you were maybe outsmarted or whatever. But the same way with this, when you, when you start to feel like you have to rationalize something and explain why you are doing something the way you're doing something, you might double check with yourself, why am I trying to rationalize this? Am I really seeking the Lord or am I trying to find a reason to do this because I want to do this? All right, so point number two, the what of God. Oh, my word. you got to be kidding. Somebody cheated, I'm pretty sure. How did you get that? Oh, wow, that's how it sounds. Yes. Oh, mom's smiling. I learned a word. Spelling success. One of the great lessons to be learned from Israel's worship of the calf is that our actions do matter to God. The same God who knows the number of hairs on our head. I talked about this in the airsoft war. Yeah. He must love some of us more than others. <laughs> that's good. No, you just... Maybe some of us are too complicated to keep up with all the hairs on our heads in the first place. So it's like the less thing to keep track of with this guy. But, um, and he knows every sparrow, sparrow that falls is obviously well aware when his people choose to go against his precepts. When God saw the actions of the people, he made both a statement and a command. He first stated that the people had corrupted themselves. Corruption can be defined as something that has been taken from its original or intended use. Man was created to worship God. Their worship of a calf was certainly a deviation from God's original intention. All right. Subpoint A. The people were, does not start with an I. C. What was it? Nope. Carnal. Carnal. Ooh, two for two. Yes. In today's text, we see three actions that reflect the carnality of the Israelites at this stage in their journey. These steps are sequential, and they led to God's anger. Therefore, we must guard against taking this path in our own lives as well. First, the children of Israel turned aside quickly. They had pledged to obey God, but soon broke their vows. From their example, we learned to stay faithful to the course uh, charted for us by God. As we walk with Him in patience and trust, uh, we experience the blessings of His presence. As we abide with him, he stirs our heart to do his will. Luke chapter 24, verses 29 through 32 says, 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is, is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? Not only did the children of Israel turn aside quickly, they also made a molten calf. So we see in our text uh, 4 through 5, it says, Thou shalt not make, or, well, Exodus chapter 20, so that's not our, oh, I got lost there. Yeah, not our text. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above um, or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. There's that um, another likeness to the marriage thing. The Lord God is jealous um, from this um, message this morning. Man has long tried to find substitutions for God and for truth. The theory of evolution, for instance, is man's attempt uh, to replace the truth of creation. The science of ecology can be another example of man finding a substitute for God. Often this science leads to the worship of creation rather than the creator. Uh, Romans, referencing Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Perhaps you have personal substitute for God in your own life. Food, ooh, friends, entertainment, Hobbies, while not wrong in and of themselves, cannot be replacements for God when we go to them for comfort, for distraction, or for hope. Yeah, those are some good ways to kind of check some of those important things in your life of, um, to see if they, you've put them up as idols. So maybe we remember today that God is all we need. Don't settle for cheap substitutes. He is sufficient. The third evidence of carnality in the hearts of the Israelites was the worship of and the sacrifice to their idol. Another good check there. Um, our worship of and the sacrifice to their idols. What are we? What things do we sacrifice our gold and worship and time for? Uh, another good, good check there. They gave their gold for its making. They offered sacrifices on its altar. God alone is worthy of our worship and sacrifice. Oh boy. Today, we sacrifice for many things. Perhaps we make sacrifices so that our children can have special opportunities. We often sacrifice in order uh, to later achieve some personal benefit. But when was the last time we worshipped our Savior by making a loving sacrifice for Him? What are we willing to give God who gave, us, who gave everything for us? And uh, again, it's not always um, money, but, or yeah, things. And like, and often that's uh, kind of another thing of paying your dues. Um, but 
where do we spend our, our time and our priorities? Is some things of the Lord, how priority is that to us? So the carnality of the people was revealed in three obvious ways. We learn from the Israelites that the sooner the sin is dealt with, the sooner the fellowship will be restored. Sin is much like an infection. If caught early, damage can be minimal, but much like a splinter that is allowed to fester and infect, sin undealt with will often require painful probing and digging. <laughs> Brings back childhood memories. And that is never fun when a needle comes out. As we move along in our lesson, may we do so with a heart that reflects the psalmist as he prayed in Psalms 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Subpoint B, that people were what by God. Starts with a C. Close, closer to challenged, charged. People were charged by God. <clears throat> Moses had often pled on behalf of his people but here, God was so outraged by their actions that he did not want to hear the pleas for mercy. He told Moses uh, to leave him alone so that he could consume the people and make a new nation for Moses to lead. Again, think back to the Garden of Eden for a moment. Adam and Eve could freely enjoy the pleasures of the garden with only one prohibition. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had said that if they did, they would surely die. They did it anyway. God kept his word and would hear no excuses. Adam and Eve died spiritually on that day and would die physically eventually. Excuse me. God remembered mercy and covered their sin, but they could no longer live in the paradise God had made for them. In these stories, we see both God's justice and God's consistency in keeping His word to deal with sin. How wonderful to claim God's promise of patience and mercy. But we must also remember that He will not always plead with man. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. May we remember to turn to Him before He must bring judgment in our lives. And again, you have to get stuff taken care of early a lot better well kind of like the needle in Esther's foot let me pull it out that's good I'll never forget that one uh, it'll be a lot better than surgery and all sorts of stuff in the end right uh, we don't end up here all right point number three the what of Moses Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure. Did I, like, leave the book open or something? Still, these are, like, humongous words. Yeah, this will be interesting. Oh, boy. And where are we going to go with this?
it enters with a C into, oh, see, I had it right. I just need to move some S's around and add a C. So it's pretty much right. <laughs> it's spelled God. That's a good one. <laughs> feel pretty good about that one. <laughs> oh, man. The intercession of Moses. I was on a good streak there. It is wonderful when someone speaks up on behalf of another, when someone makes intercession. Such was the case with Moses. God may not have wanted to hear from Moses, but Moses loved his people and did everything he could to save them. Moses gives a beautiful picture of the genuine love and concern for another. He serves as a shining example of interceding on behalf of another. We, too, have many opportunities to plead for help and for mercy for others. May we do so from a heart of genuine care and Christ-like love. And I was yeah, thinking back on this. It shows me where I am as a person, but you get some people that you deal with, and it's just annoying. And, and when something like at, for Moses, it's like you got these people that he's trying to lead, and they're just like hindering him every step of the way. Well, not every step, but a lot of the way. And finally, they do something so out of the crazy wild that the Lord wants to just be done with them. Like how easy it would have been for Moses. Like, shoot, that'd be awesome, Lord. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's get a new nation here. But just how much he loved those people, even though they were a pain in his neck, um, and kind of eventually was his downfall. Um, he still made intercession for him. So, subpoint A, he what the sinners loved. So, and that is, kind of gave it away there, but I mean, if you guys are getting intercession and indignation, this one's pretty much a giveaway, I guess. He loved the sinners. Before Moses even left the mountain and saw for himself what was taking place in the camp, we see three endeavors on his part that we ought to emulate today. <clears throat> All right, so. So, uh, first one is <clears throat> he besought the Lord in verse 11. Moses went directly to the Lord on the people's behalf. Besought is a form of beseech, which means to ask urgently or fervently. And after dealing with the sin, Moses returned to the mountain, loving the people so much that he was willing to fast and pray for 40 days, begging God not to destroy them. Verses 40, uh, 30 through 32. Deuteronomy 9, chapter 18, verse 19 says, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because, all, uh, because of all your sins, which ye have sinned, in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. Let's see. <clears throat> this is the type of passionate prayer that God hears. 
James chapter 5, 16 proclaims, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Interestingly, God stresses the importance of fervent prayers. The now I lay me down to sleep prayers do not usually move us a great deal. They do not move God much either. The time Moses spent in fervent prayer ought to challenge believers today. Ask yourself, when was the last time I spent even 45 minutes praying for someone who was in spiritual danger? The following story found in Matthew 15 is another beautiful example of persistent and fervent prayer on behalf of another. Matthew 15, 22 through 28 says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That uh, then she, then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it eat. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. So we see, not only did Moses seek the Lord, he also cared about the testimony of the people in verse 12. Moses loved God and cared, that he cared what the world would say about God and his people if he were to destroy them. The challenge seen here is not only to love and pray for God's people, but also to love the testimony connected with the things of God. Our actions have consequences that can either hinder or help our testimony to those who do not know the Lord. What might others think of our Savior based on what they see in us? When Peter and John stood before the council at Jerusalem, the evidence was plain that they had been with Jesus. They had a good testimony. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 14 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Uh, to a ship Full of terrified sailors and passengers, the Apostle Paul was able to give a clear testimony as well. In Acts 27, 21 through 25, it says, But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and, have not, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall not be uh, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of the God, who, uh, the angel of God whose I am, and who I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. 
Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. As we go through our daily life, we need to strive to continually ask ourselves, what do others think of my Lord based on what they see in me? Not what others think about how they see me, but how they see the Lord based on what they see in me. The third evidence of Moses' love for sinners is demonstrated by the fact that he reminded God of his promises. At the time when God was angry to the point of genocide, Moses chose to remind God of what he had said. It is a good thing to know what the promises of God are so that we can come to the throne of grace and claim them. Psalms 89:34 says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Joshua 23, 14 says, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord God spake concerning you are all come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Um, illustration I've heard a few times, I'm sure you all have as well, but it's a good one. A check is not money. <clears throat> it is a promise on paper that can be exchanged for money. You can be the possessor of fantastically large checks. But essentially, if you have done nothing until you take the check to the bank and cash it. It's just a piece of paper with a signature on it. Um, and so we come boldly to the throne of grace and claim the promises of God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says... Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with feelings, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All right, so he, Moses loved the people, and then sub-point B, he what? The sin. Aha, uh -huh. yes, gotcha. So it starts with an L again. Load. Oh, well. You guys are good. Getting to, I'll have to like make the game a little harder. You have to like blank out two words or something. He loathed the sin. He loathed the sin. <clears throat> when Moses arrived in the camp, he saw the sin of the people, and his anger waxed hot. He was blazing with anger. He did not excuse their sin as his brother Aaron had done, but rather he dealt with it. Moses removed the offending idol and destroyed it, burning it and grinding it into a powder. He then poured the powder into the river and made the Israelites drink it. I always thought that was a pretty cool uh, story there. Of, yeah, 
how Moses took care of that. <clears throat> All right, just grind that that thing up, making powder, and you drink that gold. It's kind of interesting. Kind of pretty neat. Uh, Moses was a man. He then poured. Uh, well, okay, I read that part. Sin may be pleasurable for a season, but it has a terrible and long-lasting aftertaste. Sometimes God deals with sin by giving us what we want and letting us find out the hard way how horrible it really is. Read this again. This kind of this is where we don't want to be. But sometimes God deals with sin by giving us what we want and letting us find out the hard way how horrible it really is. The taste of a drink made with powdered golden calf must have been extremely unpleasant, and this showed not only Moses' contempt for the idol, but also his fury at the idolatry. In Numbers, we read about how God fulfilled the people's cry for meat. In Numbers chapter 11, 18 through 20, and 31 through 33, and say, Thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against the morrow, and ye shall eat flesh, for ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. And ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month, until it come out of your nostrils, and be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and hath wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Verse 31 through 33 says, And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quail from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. That's a lot of quail. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails, uh, he that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Again, we see the dissatisfaction experienced when sin is present in our lives. After the idol was destroyed, Moses sent the Levites among the people to punish them. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Exodus chapter 32, 26. Three thousand men were subsequently slain. Moses loved the people so much that he later told God he was willing to give up his place in paradise so that his people might be saved, in verse 32. But he also would not tolerate their direct rebellion against God. He made it very clear that the wrong choices made by the Israelites had serious consequences. While it is easy to identify the sins of others, we must be willing to be just as harsh as Moses was when dealing with our own sin. We must refuse to tolerate our own rebellion against God and always seek to keep a tender conscience towards God. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it says, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. 
and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out that mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Our sinful and selfish desires will not satisfy the longings in our soul. We must worship God with pure hearts and allow His blessings to flow. In turn, we will see our deepest desires fulfilled in His will. So, in conclusion, believers must constantly remind themselves that Satan is the great counterfeiter who tries to convince us to accept a substitute in place of God's plan. God's way at times seems to be the narrow way, but His way is always the right way. and His way, there are no regrets. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health unto thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. All right, so that is lesson number 10, Moses and the Golden Calf. Um, talking about confession and repentance and how we need to get these things taken care of quickly while they're small. And um, yeah, and may we not keep going on something to the point where God just gives us what we want and we find out why the Lord didn't want us to have it in the first place because He's looking out for us. Uh, Pastor Tim, would you come up and close us and close us in a word of prayer as well. Something as John was drawing up here, and it may be a little bit technical, but it's kind of interesting that when you write programs to do certain things, whether they're uh, CNC machines or whatever, you know, when you're doing a circle, it's actually little bitty chords. There's no such thing as a continuous curve. It's just, they're just very small, very tiny, and it appears and it smooths out very much. And, and I think that's interesting. And then also when he was kind of drawing this up here, this is a little more applicable to us, but he said, you know, you go from Los Angeles to New York, okay, and if he was off just a degree or less, I mean, you, you become way off uh, here. But that's really not how things go. It's kind of like this circle. You keep getting corrections as you go. You go here, things get recalculated, then you head there, things get recalculated, you go here, and that's kind of like our life. <laughs> We get off, God corrects us, the word of God corrects us, we get back on track. And, and so it's a, it's a life more of back and forth and staying on that. And like what he was showing up there is, if we refuse God, we just continue to, to get way off. So just a, that was just a thought I had in my mind when he was, was talking. All right. Anybody have any comments? or? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for again, for your word and what we're learning 
uh, how you deal with our lives with, with sin, how far off things can get, um, and, and how you, if we continue in a way, you'll really give us over to it so that we'll choke on it and uh, we'll understand and be humbled. Oh God, you love us to the extent where you're not just going to let us completely go. Um, and I thank you for that. Uh, but may we just take the corrections along the way. May we be patient. Um, uh, one of the things that the people there lost was their hope, their, their patience in God and decided to try to make another God. And, um, and so, Father, help us just always just trust you. And uh, no matter what's happening, just to be patient in our lives, waiting upon you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.